So it's a uh, another return here to our order of business. Back to back to the uh, the drawing board here. Back to the basics and coming through with some more uh, some syllabus journal entries that were it is our want to to stay up on as much as for my own reports as it is for you know just to proliferate the information out there and you know these ideas and uh, as much as people may disagree or uh, you know dislike these kind of the postulation of these particular ideas then. Of course, we have to defend ourselves, you know, vigorously for the right to make sure that people have the ability to clearly see the dangers ahead and to rightly know all the, the facts and the information to, for it to be rightly understood. That's very important. So we're going back through here. We got the, uh, you know, the SGDT report, and it's good to hear the discussion of, you know, ideas that may or may not be something you you typically find out there in the corporate media systematic skewing of reality and brainwash the system of deafening ponderance of arrogant overly confident glamorous celebrity-like reporters you know on the tv earning million dollar salaries with their super slick mass marketing propaganda media presentation that they do and uh, we have to just go over here and do our like basic little homespun, you know, homemade podcast show to have any voice to disagree with the overwhelming onslaught, the total onslaught of media narrative deception and corporately packaged lies brought to you by Pfizer, right? Well, we're not. And we are, you know, we never did take any Pfizer drugs in our lives. Hey, man, when we were back when we were young, then we'd, we'd go out there and I'll tell you what. If there were them back in the day when they had those MDMA beans, boy, we would go to the club and just get so hammered and we would roll and laugh so hard. <sighs> and then, you know what? We never ever did take anything from Pfizer, ever. They even had these little blue Teslas, these little Tesla beans, boy, there's pure sassafras. You guys don't know anything about that. I mean, it has to be natural. Like, if it's not natural and pure, then the hippies won't take it, okay? Trust me. And if the hippies have it, and then blue Tesla ones, boy, whew, tell you what, I don't know where those things came from, but that was, that was good medicine, right? For your soul and mind, you know, for, for, you know, just for an outing for a weekend one time, you know, good. Pfizer? No, no, don't take, don't take anything from Pfizer, guys. Don't take anything that can just destroy your soul and mind and body and rot out the little pituitary glands and little little things inside you that you need to for you to to actually like be able to perceive the world properly right let's let's be real so but we carry on with our show here with the all due diligence and it's important that we go back through and recognize that the the trans radicalism in america you know par, apart from being just a different kind of mommies there was two mommies and you know and no daddy you know, kind of like separate lifestyles of, you know, adults that, that live privately or whatever. But the trans radicalism is like weird perverted dudes who have somehow got themselves a boob job 
know, chasing you down the, down the, uh, the street, you know, everywhere you go, you know? And, and so that's, that, that's a totally different kind of thing than respecting people's private lifestyles and, 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 and private lives. Right. When we're going, we now, you know, putting the T in the LBDQ2 RTM, whatever, putting the T in there it really messes it up for everybody. So I think that's, what's, that's so disturbing. And so, um, gender dysphoric, I feel the gender dysphoric, just sweeping through the nation. And, um, it's, it's, people are not happy to just find, you know, have their own deviated, perverted, disgustoid lifestyles all on their own. You know, they, they have to go and make sure you watch and accept it. And your kids have to like, you know, their eyes have to be forced open, like clockwork orange where you have the machine and you sit there and you force their eyes open with the little metal thing and you, you make them watch it, even though they're t- trying desperately to turn their head away and it, it, it rots out their soul. You, you, you foist it on them anyway, right? So that's what the trans agenda is doing to really wake up America. So America is not going woke, but the American people are awakening to the fact that the extremism of, of politically institutionalized perversion in the federal government is the end. It is the end of America on a biblical level and on a sociological level and epic level. And we've been talking about the whole time how horrible the, uh, the tyranny is in America and how it's going to lead to roundup small at first, let them go take them. Oh, I wasn't in, I wasn't in the oath keepers. I wasn't a proud boy. Oh, good. I, I, email, I emailed them once, or I looked it up online once, but I, I wasn't a part of their group, so I'm, I'm safe, I'm safe. I'm, I'm going to let you know, you're not, you're not safe, and nothing is safe uh, about what the, the tyranny that's going on in Washington, D.C., leading to these roundups, and which are becoming mass roundups, let's be real. And they'll force it on the people because they'll, they'll make it about the, oh, you know, they can go on the right-wing side of it, and, you know, if, if, if Trump were to get in there, not be sent to prison for the rest of his life. This is like mayhem. Uh, and, and you'd start to send all these million, you know, five million people back to where they came from, and that's mass roundups. And then it's all the people that ground out in between and just all the leveraging of it for the chaotic, you know, for the chaos. So really what we're seeing here with Trump and Biden, the chaos storm. And we, we have to discuss corporate cartels, guys. And corporate cartels ultimately are fascism. And we got to remember uh, um, corporate cartels are fascism. We have to discuss corporate cartels and how, you know, corporatism, go back and look it up. We, we've been through this. So you have to go, you have to be a part of the old school 1990s, like pre-Alex Jones conspiracy network. We're looking at gold trim flags and the, the coup d'etat of 1933 and all the, all these, right, all these things that you know, we were kind of becoming familiar with and trying to illuminate the now horribly despondent and wickedly ignorant masses out there waking them up to that you know they're you know we're not trying to you know get you into reptilians here over here but we need you to recognize that the, the power structure has an agenda of grinding forward and it's it's a just a long-term generational deal of conquest and the machinery is just rolling and if you're not you know if you haven't been aware of it you're you're sitting there in a bad spot so these this corporate fascism works lockstep i mean that's what we're talking about pfizer and um the fact that their relationship with EU and all their orders for COVID shots over to the European Union, all that um, you know stuff is starting to kind of disappear. Where we had a whole article coming on that. The, the United States and the European Union, you can see the EU and the U.S. kind of on parity. 
how the European Union was developed ultimately to be this larger regional government to control the, the smaller districts. And that's uh, that's what America ultimately became to be. Ultimately, America was originally sovereign nation states who had an agreement and a contract between each other. And that contract got totally out of control and uh, went and enslaved them all, you know, <laughs> under the rubric of a capital city. And then, of course, the capital city is trying to become its own state, its own sovereign government in its own right with its own, you know, governor. So we cannot allow that to happen. We cannot, we cannot not, not, not allow Washington, D.C. to have statehood and to complete this, the, the cycle of becoming a totally out of control empire. The permanent bureaucracy, the DOJ, the State Department, Treasury, the military, they're totally out of control and they're totally, you know, being subsumed into this agenda of Marxian annihilation. And it, it, and because the, the virus, the contamination, the idea virus is, is, is in the, it breaks down the peer culture and breaks in, breaks the sociological interconnections between the soldiers and the sailors and the Marines, the corpsmen, all, all the different military fighter, the intelligence agencies, the police officers, the, the design of the ideological instability and the actual damage that is created is, is is between the different peers in the peer culture. So you, you insert different individuals wearing the badges, wearing the fatigues, wearing the wearing the the gear, and bring them into the peer culture, who are going to now wreck the the team cohesion and the structure of the teamwork, and then the power of the the effectiveness of those uh, very integral systems of defense and protection that keep the American society together and really just breaks those down and putting the people through different retraining classes about racial, you know, race, racist issues. And that's what critical race theory is. It's just another KKK. It's another, it's another way to create racial animosity and animosity between people and create this idea of, of pride in one's own skin color or perceived skin color or whatever that is. Because those are just inherited traits of our ancestors. That you know, your skin color doesn't tell you how you ultimately arrived through the generations as your ancestors strive to survive, and you arrive at this point in time with those inherited traits. And so, you know, you don't account for all that over time. You know, you, you don't. You know, you know, what I'm saying that that's the whole point is that ultimately you're not like enthralled to the the mindset of your ancestors. You might they might have worshipped kangaroos or something you know you don't know what your ancestors are doing or they made sacrifice babies to jupiter and you know we're not all utterly beholden to the ideals of our ancestors at all okay we're just but we are in here we are inheriting the biological traits that they carried over time so you know in that in that confusion and in, in the dumbing down of america I mean, america's dumb 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 down let's be let's be real and that dumbing down process, people, you know, are easily taken in by this sophistry and the demagoguery of just trying to get people to, you know, throw rocks at each other and you know, create neighborhood, you know, bloods and crips, you know, create, you know, create neighborhood rivalries and problems in the streets that, that allows the elites and the power structure to just kind of keep moving forward without being interrupted. Keep us fighting in between amongst ourselves. Pretty simple, right? I'll say, you know, it's hard for these people to really get, get wrap their mind around it. And, you know, in the mix of all that, these BLM activists and anti-activists are all financed by the Soros-level apparatchiks who are, you know, still, in the, you know, some of these overlords are so empowered over time and over generations that they just are sitting back. And some of these upstarts are young new bloods. The Bill Gates of the world who are working hard and vigorously to to get their super massive wealth established and to get their name placed in the 
in the history books of this um, this globalist cartel, you know, to be the new Rockefellers and J.P. Morgans and the new Rothschilds of the world, right? That's what these guys are going for, those positions. And so they're, the, they're still the working henchmen of the whole thing, flying all about John Kerry, you know, uh, yada, yada. And I can see, you know, when we look at the history there with um, the issues we had with in the election, when, uh, you know, Jeb Bush was there on stage with Trump, and when Trump came out and said straight up, hey, they lied. There was no reason to go to Iraq. There was no weapons of mass destruction, and they knew it. And, you know, we were just going over the information last night that, you know, we were just looking at how the discussion is pointing out that that's really when things really started to go bad for Donald Trump, when he kind of stepped out of the role of just the regular Republican, you know, uniparty, apparatchik, goose-stepping along. We started to actually throw down and point out that the Bush system of war was a lie. And, you know, he might as well come out, Trump, he might as well come out and said 9-11 was an inside job. He might as well just said that when he said they had no reason to go to, to Iraq, right? So we'll, you know, we'll go do more on that. Just, it's just running through my mind now. And just, it's kind of like, I can see it so clearly, historically. And ultimately, as we're talking about this, this administrative fascism, it really goes back to the, like we just said, the Harrimans and, and the Bushes and the Knights of Malta, this, and, and, their, and their new chase for deriving uh, new help into the knighthood orders there at Skull and Bones. At Yale, that's really with the Harriman and Bush connection and, and Prescott, and all that. So if you don't know about that, I mean, I just go to go back to switch over back over to the porn or whatever it is you do with your time. Like go back over to the mind numb, the mind numbing, doom scrolling down through endless social media memory holes, and just disappear. Right? I mean, I, I don't know what to tell you. You got to do some reading sometimes. But really, blinking now, you know, running the show for for uh, where, where apparently the little henchman, the little puppet boy, we see him run out and his strings start to pull and his mouth, his little mouth starts to, you know, his little puppet mouth starts to move. And he's really just the the do boy for Madeleine Albright and Kissinger and the Zabrinsky era technocracy. Just it's just a restoration of that. It just brings it right back online as we have to deal with this whole Russia Ukraine debacle. And we're going into a point now where we are going to be dealing with the, the rebuilding of Ukraine. And of course, you have to rebuild Ukraine after this. Whatever happens, and we'll, we'll have to just, they'll have to build 15 minute smart cities that can only have 20,000 people each. And you can no longer have cars. And you can, maybe you can have, you can plan automated uh, train travel between the cities if, you're, if you have a card and if you have the proper uh, social credit score. Right after you know Elon Musk turns Twitter into the new WeChat, right, with some facial recognition stuff and everything, right? That's, that's where we're going. That's the, that's the future they have planned out. So they love war, blow up the cities, and rebuild the uh, the way they want. Get us the universal basic income (UBI), and we're just totally in in the CCP model surveillance state, right? So that's what this discussion is coming up. Another interesting look with the, the SGT report. And I've been talking about it for a long time, how the Club of Rome was so intr- instrumental in introducing environmentalism and this idea of greenhouse, greenhouse gases and how you know we're polluting the earth. Like that entire concept of the melting ice caps. Of course, if you go look at the ice caps now, they're bigger and huger than ever. I think we're going to have a, I think we're going to have an ice, an ice age. I think the um, the glaciers are rolling down and they start knocking out towns in Russia, right? So I don't know what they're talking about global warming. It's just this kind of insanity that they have us in.
And and we reiterated again the point with uh, the knighthood orders, and they're going to talk about how, of course, you can see the induction of Michael Bloomberg into the uh, fraternal orders, into the knighthood orders, so that he's now Sir Michael Bloomberg, right? And, of course, we can see now the newest headlines right now today. France, of course, is going and, and inquiring after BRICS and trying after having meet, met with China. And that's, that's where the state of the world is. That's, that's how low Biden and America's democracy. And I don't think Americans and, and people holding the flags for Biden over here understand how American democracy was lost under Biden. And when it's not duly elected and it's not rightly elected and it's not the, the right person... It's not democracy. So that, that's the issues we're dealing with here today, guys. So let's just run this. We're going to run this program. And we appreciate all the feedback that we get. It's, it's, it's incredible. And when you want to come and just blow us off, we love it. If you want to come on and disagree, just come on. Come on the show. And it's pretty simple. Just hit that email. And yeah, we, we just love, we love being here to make sure that we add the true critical intellectual query into this whole, uh, whole scenario here in America. And we have to weigh in for our, our children, for our children's futures, for, you know, we, like, like I said, we, we have a, a debt, an obligation, a debt to our past generations just as we do to the future generations. And we have to make sure that we hold the line and don't, and don't become the people that just turn into worms here. You know, we have to, we have to recognize the, the, the struggle, the ideological and, and the military battle and the, the whole process of American resurgence, the reawakening of American greatness. And not American greatness in the sense of just having some kind of nationalistic idealism, but the actual purpose for the founding documents of America's birth. So that the actual ideas of the independence and the declaration of it, the ideas of a constitution that hold that we hold within ourselves as Americans and we hold true to, which is when you have a constitution, when you have when you constitute those principles within yourself as, as a stronghold, those ideals are now the framework for the future government of your entire uh, family and, and nation. We have to return to those values. We have to return to the idea that the states in America have sovereignty. And we, not, we don't need to have Washington statehood. We need to have national statehood returned to the states in America, to the, their national status, their status as sovereign nations. We, need, we really need to have a, con, a constitutional convention and get together and, and just get rid of this system of a central bank, which just has us totally on this debt fiat currency. So the, the, the future of America, no matter what, in the next 10 years is one of utterly, like I said, as we roll up, leaving 1933 and moving towards 2033, it's going to be an absolutely unimaginable now period of upheaval and tectonic instability and massive changes in the market. I think that the collapse of the dollar, I think going up as everyone realizes that all the people who are expecting to get payments, all the, the you know, we were watching the, the stagnation of the Chinese economy. And now they can see that with Biden back in the White House, with Biden installed in the White House and selected by the uniparty power structure with the help of the CCP, corruptly, fraudulently, illegally, not the president, Biden, is ultimately that the, the consequences of that of now that huge slowdown, the huge, the huge economic chaos and, and the economic losses and the collapse of economic power is now going to fall to America and on America rather than, you know, where it should be, which is we were, you know, under, under Donald Trump, we would have witnessed the resurgence of America at this time rather than the sudden, you know, the, the breakneck meteoric fall and collapse of America. So 
with that, let's carry on. We've talked about this a lot. There's that old adage, men go mad in herds and only return to their senses slowly and one by one. See, the good news about all of this greenie insanity and the trans insanity is it is waking people up, people who otherwise would not have questioned this stuff. I'll give you an example. These lunatics in New York want to ban natural gas ovens and stoves. And in California, the House of Getty, Gavin Newsom, House of Getty, well, he wants to ban gasoline-powered cars by 2035. So when this insanity starts to come home and hit people's pocketbooks, they wake up. And thank God for that. So I guess if you want, we can move on to the tyranny. That's actually a good segue to the tyranny that we're seeing here in the United States. You just mentioned it. Oath Keepers founder Stuart Rhodes sentenced to 18 years in prison for January 6th. All Oath Keepers was was former and current police and military honoring their oath to the Constitution. That's all the group is. But the ADL will tell you those people are xenophobes. Those people are fear mongers. Those people are domestic terrorists, and it couldn't be further from the truth. But we only tend to see this stuff throughout history. 18 years in prison for walking into the Capitol in Jan 6th, we've only seen that in the past in banana republics. So I have been saying that we now live in a banana republic, and it's true. And by the way, when I play that clip from Stu Peters and Alex Jones, we are an occupied nation with an occupational government, they both agree. We are suffering through a coup. There was a coup of the U.S. government, and now we're suffering the repercussions, Harley. Well, I I would argue the coup goes back quite a ways. It it wasn't just the bringing in of Biden, because much of this was in place. The only thing that disrupted it was the election of Donald Trump. Right. And that's crucial because there's an opportunity to use the electoral process, provided people are uh, awake. And by the way, Deshaun, something you said was quite interesting. The woke movement is waking up normal Americans. Big time. Because, because it's so bizarre. Well, big time. Look at Bud Light. Look at the Bud Light boycott. <laughs> Anheuser-Busch yeah. is in a panic, and guess what? Because of the Bud Light boycott, Target has just turned tail and removed their entire welcome section to the Pride people right at the front of the stores. They've ordered all of that stuff to be removed and put into a footprint a third of the size in the back of the store because they were terrified that they were going to get the Bud Light treatment. Which they deserve. And by the way, the only LGBTQ propaganda products that Target removed from their stores were one line of gender non-binary, satanic-themed children's clothes. It's not a joke, by the way. Uh, Created by somebody who uses they-them pronouns, of course, and who, on their Instagram account, says that they, of course, worship Satan and that Baphomet is their idol because Baphomet, of course... (laughs) the idol believed to have been worshipped by the inner circle of the Knights Templar, is the ultimate icon of gender non-binaryism. By the way, guys, y'all know I used to work for Target Corporation for 10 years in the marketing department. It was a great company back then. I left in 2008. I assure you, it's a far different company today. All these companies that go woke, Harley, deserve to go broke.
That's right. It's now time for a word from our awesome sponsor, Wendy's Boutique Limited. Wendy'sLimited.com. And uh, Wendy'sLimited.com is offering the hottest new designer trends and brand name couture fashion styles. So you have to hear about Wendy's Boutique, Wendy'sLimited.com, Wendy'sLimited.com. Now has designer women's apparel and fine jewelry, sexy boutique fashions, very best prices online. And you know that at Wendy'sLimited.com, uh, they know what a woman is, or what a woman really is, right? So if you're a beautiful woman or if you know a beautiful woman, and if you don't, stop listening to this show, okay? Right now, just stop. But if you happen to know a beautiful woman and you are a beautiful woman, you have to know about Wendy'sLimited.com. So these are the, the sexiest boutique fashions anywhere, very best prices online, beautiful luxury products, guaranteed authentic, guaranteed, no Chinese knockoffs ever. So this is the real deal. This is the real, real, the legit, best prices, hottest couture gear, fragrances. We had Tom Ford shades, great deal on the Tom Ford shades. Everybody loves Tom Ford shades. So you can expect to find Gucci apparel, Hermes shoes, Prada jewelry, all at wendyslimited.com. And you got to remember, wendyslimited.com is really now famous for canceling Balenciaga when it mattered, right? So we're not having any of that over here. This is a woman-owned enterprise, all-American, family-run organization, wendyslimited.com, wendyslimited.com. You got to come join the craze. Hottest new designer trends, guys. Wendy's Boutique Limited, we need your support. And uh, she's been courageous to support the show, wendyslimited.com. Well, I, I've been talking a lot about what I call the disinformation industrial complex, or DIC for short. Yeah. You know, this is what we're dealing with when you have people like the Oath Keepers called terrorists, when you have people who are critical of the NATO war strategy as Putin puppets and information terrorists. This is what the Ukrainian hit list is. Um, you know, they're, they're essentially... And by the way, the, the director, the deputy director of Ukrainian uh, military intelligence just said that Putin is now on Ukraine's kill list. So, you know, who are these guys to talk about terrorism? And, you know, the, the irony here is the people that they're going to start rounding up and jailing are the ones who are fighting against the Nazis. The tyranny is coming from the corporate cartels and this is a key point that, that I just want to make sure people understand. Fascism doesn't come from nationalism. Fascism comes from the attack on nationalism, the attack on sovereignty, and the replacement of national governments and representative governments by corporate cartels. The enemies that we have in the United States and Europe today are not Russia and China or Iran or, or any other country. It's our corporate cartels who act through the so-called military-industrial complex, the banking and financial cartels. You know, BlackRock is all over this, everywhere you look. And by the way, on the Greens, the top advisor in the German government for the Green policy spent 10 years at BlackRock, and before that, she was the Green coordinator for Morgan Stanley. Oh, shocker, just like Macron is a former Rothschild banker. Yeah. So what we're dealing with is these corporate cartels that use think tanks, foundation money, 
uh, to, and then the media, an incestuous relationship with the media. And then groups like the, what, what LaRouche used to call the permanent bureaucracy of the Justice Department, because that's what we're up against on the January 6th hearings. That's what we're up against on all this lawfare crap that's being thrown around. The permanent bureaucracy, those are the same people who went after LaRouche in the 1980s. In some cases, the same individuals. And this permanent bureaucracy, it's technically should be called administrative fascism because the policies they're pushing are not different than the policies that were brought into Nazi Germany uh, through the bankers and the trusts that included the Harrimans and the Bushes and others. So this is what we're fighting. And they have this disinformation industrial complex, which is all the major media, but it, it's also now in the think tanks, in academia, and in, every, in, in the Justice Department, the State Department, uh, the Treasury Department, and the military. And the, the idea that we've surrendered the country to these lunatics, these delusional fools who think they're better than everyone else. And I want to make two more points on the Nazi question. There's a, a very interesting article written by a, an American historian named Cliff Kirikoff, where he talked about the NATO eastward expansion policy as mimicking the Lebensraum or eastward expansion policy of Hitler. The idea that you needed more room for the master race. And this is the, if you look at it, it's the same people, the Harrimans, the Bushes, the, uh, the network that runs Blinken and Sullivan that goes back to Madeleine Albright and Brzezinski and mm -hmm. Kissinger. Mm -hmm. Those are the enemies of the United States. And this Lebensraum policy is what the eastward expansion of NATO is all about. I, I had a second point there, but it, it's, it slipped my mind for a moment. But I, I think that's important for people to realize this is bureaucratic fascism. And just because they're not wearing swastikas doesn't mean they're not fascists or Nazis. And that's why they're supporting the Nazis in Ukraine. And then they turn around and call their opponents right-wingers, uh, racists, uh, extremists. And wasn't it Biden who said we're dealing with a nation of, of right-wing Nazis? So, you know, this is how they try to distort and divert people from the truth. But I think it's important that these stories are beginning to be questioned. Another thing, too, that I want to add to it is you named some of the names, but uh, I've recently showcased on my site, thephaser.com, a speech from many years ago from Dr. John Coleman in which he names the names. This is like a 90-minute speech that people should watch three times and take notes on. And he talks about the people that control this world and have chosen our presidents for decade after decade after decade. He talks about the Committee of 300, Tavistock Institute, the Club of Rome, which leads us back to the end game here, which Stu Peters and Alex Jones talk about in detail. The end game is track and trace and UBI in 15-minute cities, hell on earth. And if people want to know what that looks like, if we acquiesce to the demands of these lunatics, this is what it looks like, friends. The United States... Everywhere on earth, this is what they want. They want the Chinese model. Is this how you care to live, guys? Is this how you want to live? In the land of the free and the home of the brave? Those are the entrances and exits between the regions of the 15-minute cities. The districts. 
as shown in the Hunger Games. This is the model for the United States if these people can get away with it. And do you think I'm overstating that, Harley? China is the model. That's the test ground for this. Well, I, I think the model is actually the Orwell's 1984, because it's, it's even more extreme than, than what we see in China. But I, I want to go back to this point you were making about who's making this policy. You know, a lot of people now look at Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum and say, these are the enemies, these are the bad guys. He's the but foot soldier. Back, yeah. Pardon me? He's a foot soldier, just like Bill Gates. And, and they're the more recent version. You go back sometime, and you just mentioned the Club of Rome, one of the most important oligarchical institutions in the world. They were the ones who launched the environmentalist movement in the 1960s. Yep. And they launched it through huge amounts of money coming from foundations in Europe. And then they were picked up by people like Michael Bloomberg, who is now, by the way, Sir Michael Bloomberg. Uh, they were picked up by people like uh, John D. Rockefeller, who was one of the original environmental freaks. Uh, the Rockefeller Foundation, the Ford Foundation. These are old institutions. And the, before there was the Trilateral Commission, or the, the World Economic Forum, you had the Trilateral Commission. Before that, you had the Bilderbergs. You had Chatham House. You have the Council on Foreign Relations. These are longtime associations of essentially people who see themselves as the elite establishment. And they really do see themselves as superior, better. And they have no problem. The, the ultimate goal is not just these 15-minute cities and, and separating and isolating everyone. It's destroying the mental health of the population so they can move ahead with their plans for depopulation. And this is the, one of the key people here is now King Charles. He's always been a, a leading promoter of depopulation. Uh, and, and he works with Mark Carney, who coordinated this among the bankers. Carney was the former head of the Bank of England, now he's one of the UN special rapporteurs on population who works directly with Bloomberg. And this is their intention. They, you, know, you mentioned the Gavin Newsom trying to shut down uh, combustion engine cars. In Germany, they had a bill to try and make sure that after 2030, there could be no more of these sold. In Germany, this is a nation where the auto industry is the key sector of the economy. And they had to walk back from that. They're still trying to do it for all of Europe, but it's, it's just not going to work. Now, on this, there's, there's one other point I just want to make sure I get in be, before we end up with the program, which is that when people get a little desperate and fearful about the power of these networks and the media and so on, keep in mind the Western elite are a small portion of the, the world's population. We're seeing something develop now, which is incredible. The BRICS Development Bank, for example, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, there are more countries joining the BRICS, including countries like Saudi Arabia. The fact that the Saudis turned on the British, turned against the British uh, to get a peace agreement in, in the Middle East. You now see Argentina and Brazil working together against the International Monetary Fund. Uh, we're seeing the de-dollarization. Indonesia is going to be trading with other countries with their local currency, their national currency. A move away from the dollar. The Financial Times, which is the mouthpiece for the city of London, had an article about the G7 summit. And it said, well, it's good. The war is going to continue. Everyone seems to be on the same page. 
The problem is the global south, where there's the majority of the world's population, is against it. How do we change them? How do we get them to come along with us? This is what Blinken is assigned to do, and Blinken's such a horrible character. No one listens to him when he goes outside of the United States. So we're seeing this, this shift underway, and, and now the, the uh, BRICS countries have a higher GDP than the U.S. And, and Western Europe. And so there's a tremendous shift. Now, what happens as the dollar starts crashing? You know, we, we may get through this debt ceiling issue because they'll kick the can down the road. They'll, they'll make a few concessions on spending and a few agreements to put more money in so the, the U.S. doesn't default. But it just means that it's going to be heading toward a bigger default in the future. And already countries are saying, how can we trust the United States? How can we trust the dollar? And when the, the uh, people are putting their money, they're, they're doing their trade in, in national currencies and the Chinese yuan. Now, some people are saying, well, that means China is going to take over the world economy. They're not trying to take over the world economy. They're trying to make sure they can keep growing and survive the same way Russia is doing, the same way India is doing. The only country that is deployed all over the world militarily to protect its currency is the United States. And we're losing because of the corruption of the establishment in both parties and in the institutions. And I, I can't make this point strong enough. If you talk to people in other countries, and I think I told you, Sean, I'm doing a lot of interviews now in, in the so-called developing sector countries, they like the United States. They like Americans. They, they used to see Americans come over to build bridges and hospitals and things to help them. Now they say the United States and its allies are coming into their countries and destroying these things, like what the U.S. did to the Nord Sea uh, pipeline. Mm -hmm. They see the United States where cities, you, you don't have enough housing. You see people living under bridges where you see train derailments. You know, the, the, I was talking to someone from China the other day who was kind of chuckling, and he said, I don't know, the American trains go so slow, I don't know how they can derail. <laughs> well, look at Buttigieg. You know, he, he's, uh, someone made the, the comment that it's the first time someone took a paternity leave and, and everybody else went into uh, clinical depression. So we're, we're dealing with a, a, an absolutely delusional ruling elite that continues to rule because they have media, they have money, and they're using identity politics to divide the population. And I, I just want to make one more point on this to give you a sense of how extreme this is. The, the British are terrified that the Republicans are going to move against the war in Ukraine. So who are they sending to Texas to meet with Republican donors this week? Boris Johnson, the, the knucklehead former prime minister, the, the corrupt guy from uh, uh, the city of London, he's going to Texas to meet with House Republicans, including Chip Roy from the House Freedom Caucus. And it's sponsored by a think tank funded by the city of London called the Center for European Policy Analysis. So if you think Republicans are going to step up and save the country, you're missing one of the central points of the Trump revolution. But as long as you have Bush Republicans and rhinos, right. they're going to be totally joined at the hip with the, the Biden uh, party. And so this is why we've got to 
have a mobilization to drive these people out of politics. So we'll just cut in right there. And of course, our, our uh, guests here on this particular audio clip and this, this podcast, SGT Report, pretty good. We got to go back and check it sometimes and see what kind of good stuff they're putting out. But yeah, no, the, the real issue that we're missing here is he's touching on all the important points. He's pointing out about the Uniparty and the connection between right and the left with Clinton and Bush, for instance, and Obama, all kind of amalgamated together in, 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 a, in one team against the United States and against the people of America. But the other thing, and he's pointing out good, you know, and, and, uh, and necessarily and wisely the, the infiltration of papal orders and the, the importance of nobility in this time and place, and I think we here in America, in the America bubble, have forgotten how important our status as free men and as independent individuals with political liberty and fiscal and economic sovereignty here in the United States. So we have freedom, and we don't care what happens with the, the royals and all the nobility over in Europe and all, how all those power structures and geopolitical entanglements uh, affect you know people's lives out there in the world. We don't care because we're here in America and we have democracy, right? We have representative popular government and we have a constitutional republic, yada, yada. But as those things begin to diminish, we're going to find out that the, the importance of nobility as an unbroken chain of control in the world and these, uh, these bloodlines are very important. And we're not talking about some kind of Fritz Springmeier Illuminati bloodlines. We're just talking about the regular nobility family lines, people who are passing on their uh, the, who become a duchess, the duchess of York, or the um, the baron of Sussex, or whatever, all these different countries in Spain and in Portugal and in, 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 in England and France, they all have these vestiges of, of uh, imperial power, right, that rests in their bloodlines and in their, their family lineage. And so uh, at this time, the those particular things have, have gone into the onto the wayside and gone to the back burner, are not particularly in focus in our lives here in America, but everywhere else in the world, those are really important titles. So, you know, once you become, get up into these knighthood orders, you're in the order of the garter, the order of Malta, you have the Spanish knighthood orders, they're papal knighthoods, like the order of the Calatrava, or the order of the Santiago, or the order of the Alcantara, right? These are different uh, secret papal orders. They're of Spanish descent. Of course, we were more familiar with the Templar orders, the Knights Templar, and they survive on with in the Scottish Rite. If you were unaware that the Scottish Rite Freemason lodges have a high a high order of the thirty second degree, I believe it's a high order of the Knights Templar order. So you can see that once you finally ascend to the highest levels of the Scottish Rite, you find out that they're secretly the ongoing, a centuries old extension, the revival of the Knights Templar. So these are chivalric orders who allow a man to ascend up to become noblemen and maybe even to eventually become uh, wealthy private landowners and landlords of royal, royal descent, right, in their countries. Here in America, we had a papal knighthood order that the Knights of Columbus was, was established. And of course, you can connect that with the District of Columbia. So the Knights of Columbus and the District of Columbia are, have something very much to do with each other if you do your, do your research. The Order of the Golden Fleece, right? On and on. There, there are all these military knighthood orders that are papal orders because the survival of these noble bloodlines and these royal military orders of nobility, their authority is established by the papacy, 
So it's the Roman papacy who gives the divine right of kings and the divine right of royalty, the noblesse oblige, the ability for these higher bloodline families to be blessed by the, the prelates of Rome to have their, their magical sorcery to make them the rulers, right? So there's no voting. There's no democracy. There's no choosing the direction of your government. The royal bloodline families will have children and they will rule over you. And you, you're nobody. You're not, you're not a free man. You're not an independent. You don't, have a, you don't have a declaration of independence. What do you think a declaration of independence is? It's a declaration of political separation from their entanglements and, and their presupposed authority over us. So there, there's the King of England, King Charles III, right? Here he is. And he, his whole existential purpose is to have the authority and the dominion to rule over his, all those, uh, the common people that are under his dominion. And that includes us here in the United States. So that's what that means. We rebel from that authority and that authority is uh, st still over there going strong. And he's like, oh, I'm a Protestant king. That doesn't, that doesn't track, guys. That, that's not working because if, if he is a Protestant king, then he wouldn't need to rely on the, the blessing and authority of the, of the Jesuits out, out of his uh, Church of England, right? The Anglican Church. It's just another extension of the Vatican. And the Anglican priests go over there and they get down on the floor and they kiss the Pope, the Pope's slippers and they do whatever the Jesuits tell them to do. And a lot of the Anglican priests are, are Jesuits. So don't tell me that somehow the Anglican church is separated. I think way back in the day, you go to the Tudor King Henry. I think he wanted to have a separated church. But over the course of time, it's not separated anymore. Go look at the Church of England. How They, they rebuilt the church and they made it into a mini Vatican. So when you go look at the Anglican church, it's supposed to be so independent from Rome. All, they, all it is is a tiny miniature building of, the, of, of St. Peter's Basilica, right? It's a tiny little Vatican building there in, in England. And that's another thing this guy doesn't really point out. It's important to know the, the prominence and the power that's established in the city of London is not just there subsisting of its own, but it was established from way back when, when it used to be a Roman fort. We went out, we went all into this. You have to go way back into the Bronze Age. You have to go into prehistory before Britain was Britain, before the UK was the UK, right? If you go back in time, there's a tiny little outpost at the very edges of the Roman Empire, and it's called Londinium, over there on the island. And Londinium, over the course of time, has its own sovereign power and its own established ancient immunity from centuries and centuries before the kings ever showed up. And so when the kings show up to London, they have to have their capital in London near the Roman fort, and then eventually that becomes their commercial empire, and all the kings are indebted to the city of London. So the city of London is there before the kings, before King Charles, before all these thrones are established. The city of London, the ancient Roman fort, and the occult power and the druidic esoteric sorcery that they're practicing in there is something that was established by Rome long ago. And you think that the Vatican isn't aware that the inner city of London, the ancient banking empire there, their commercial empire, that it's not totally connected with the establishment of Roman power? Of course the Vatican knows this. The city of London is an extension of the inner priestcraft, the inner temple. All right? The inner temple of London is really all about the ancient Knights of Malta. It's about the Templar Knights. It's about establishing military power in the region. And then when you look at Washington, D.C., Washington, D.C., our capital used to be in Philadelphia, but eventually over the course of decades, it slowly moved over to John Carroll's huge farm property. And eventually, if you want to look at the history of that, it's... The book, Washington in the Lap of Rome by Justin Dewey Fulton is a, an interesting book. 
that will help you to understand how Washington, D.C. is just another mini Rome. The building of that entire dome, it's a, it's a massive construction project made to look exactly like St. Peter's Basilica, just like the Church of England. The Anglican Church is exactly like the Capitol Dome in Washington, D.C., which is exactly like the, the dome in St. Peter's Square, the Basilica there. So this is all something for you to connect in your mind over time and learn these things. And we're just trying to point it out what's obvious when we look at the architecture, people who have information, who are educated, whose eyes have been opened, uh, have seen the light, right? These people who look at these buildings can see the connection, the obvious, intentional, architectural connection and ideological, religio-cultic connection between Washington, D.C., the city of London, and the Vatican in Rome. So these are all these are all places that are connected architecturally, and they're connected through their centuries of establishing their occult power and the, the structures of those that occult power. So this guy is talking about a lot of important things. He's got a lot of important points that he makes. He makes he points out all the the interesting and salient combination of papal knights and their secret orders, which you know people like when they look at Freemasonry, they're looking at the outside of the of the occult structure, which is a, a deception. And it's there to deceive people who are, who are, who are meant to be led astray when you look at the Freemason lodge. But when you go on the inside and look, it's a constabulary of knighthood orders and papal power, uh, seeking to reassert their dominion of noble authority and royal sovereignty over all the people. And they're going to do that through these systems of World Economic Forum, the United Nations, these new global centers of power, the World Trade Organization, UNESCO, on and on, the Club of Rome, right? And even to the Treaty of Rome, which established the European Union. It's an important thing to understand, the Treaty of Rome, how it connects with the Club of Rome, how they're using this ideology of supposed saving the planet, and this, this idea of polluting the planet and all this, this greenhouse gases, all these, all these pseudosciences are there to ultimately bring the American people and bring people of conscience around the world who are just living their lives back into the control of a new dark ages, a new serfdom. Right? You have to look up the book, The Road to Serfdom. Right, The Road to Serfdom. We're on the road to serfdom. We're, we're going to be back into the hands of the uber elites who are all becoming knights, right? That's why he said uh, Bloomberg is now a knight. Uh, these men are all becoming, they're being inducted once they serve. Like John Roberts in the Supreme Court, we always point that out. He went over to Malta when he finally showed his true colors and showed that he was going to disobey and do uh, something that was against what the American people really thought that he was in his own thinking when he was going to betray the people and, and betray the trust. He flew to Malta and there he was inducted. He becomes a Knight of Malta. And he, he enters into the order and to this secret club of total power that uh, will ensure that he survives in the coming wars, right? In the coming catastrophes, he'll be, uh, he'll be, his name will be on the short list to be uh, carefully uh, carted away. And you can see the same dynamic in World War II. And no one believes it. Everyone believes that Hitler shot himself. Yeah, that really comports. That tracks. That goes right along with his personality. That's what he would do. Right at the very end, just shoot himself, right? That makes sense. But people don't understand that Hitler was whisked away to be saved with his, all of his other th high th uh, Third Reich commanders, right? You, you don't think the high commanders of the Third Reich were whisked away to Argentina to be kept safe there quietly? You don't think that Adolf Hitler was with them? You need to go do your research. He lived to a, a bright old age. A lot of the Nazis, scientists, were taken off to the CIA 
And that's how we have this establishment of Nazi power here in America. So it's important what this gentleman is telling us. It's important information. I want to include it here. But we've got to like complete the circle. It's not just about kings and about you know, princes and nobility, about knighthood orders and secret clubs of Rockefellers and you know, Rothschilds. So those are all interesting things. John Pierpont Pier Morgan, Pier Morgan, Pier Morgan or whatever. John P. Morgan, right? All these massive titans, these hugely wealthy individuals were, were individuals who were knights of Malta, who were knights, who were not, papal knights in these secret orders and who were, they were created. They were men who were created by financing from the city of London, right? So that's what the entire Skull and Bones movement is about. They were called the Knights of, of Eulogia, right? Another knighthood order, quietly, uh, a papal knighthood order established on a Protestant university, right? Counter-Reformation. So this is the means by which they're moving ahead. We're all just going off with our purple hair and our iPhones and our, you know, and our Twitter accounts. We've forgotten all about what the real battle is here. But these individuals, these military orders, they haven't forgotten. They know what it's exactly about. They knew who their lord and masters, who their liege lords are. They knew that they're trying to get to the next level and become a nobleman. They're trying to keep the faith to their secret oaths that they swore. And they're here to destroy America. And it's not just about America. It's about destroying democracy and the idea that people can rule themselves without the masters. The, the idea that people can self-govern without the elite nobility to come down and, and you know, and, and tell them what to, what to do and when to do it. And that's what they had. That's what the nobility and the knighthoods were all, all, were all about. They're all about military power all along. They had steel. They had armor and shields and swords and horses. And the, the, the serfs, they didn't have anything. Go watch, and, go watch uh, Braveheart. We didn't have any steel. We didn't have any swords or armor. We didn't have any ability to protect ourselves against their warfare and the, the, the condescending power of the, the princes and the knights and the kings as it uh, set forth to conquer the common people and to keep the common people totally uh, enthralled and enslaved to their power. So that's what it's about. It's about bringing down and corrupting the population here in America, descending us into degeneracy, into the pollution and the disruption of uh, bro- breaking our family lines, breaking our cultural ties and our heritage. We're not, we're not people from, from Eritrea. We're not people from Portugal or Poland or from Brazil, right? We're just blacks and whites. That's how you lose your entire art cultural identity and your history is when you just accept, I'm a black and white now. Well, where, where was your cultural ancestry? Where were you from before you became a black and white? Oh, I don't know. I think maybe Sweden or Uganda. I, I don't know where I'm from, but I'm a black and white. That's what you have to understand about what they've done to you and how they've descended you into the propaganda and the madness and the dissipation of losing your entire hereditary inheritance, right? Understanding who your parents and your forefathers and your grandparents were, what what their intentions were, why they came to, to America, how they came to America. Did they come here willingly? Were they brought here by the force of, of ships enslaving people to the empire? And so like, once again, America is not in the crosshairs of that. You have to go back to, to Islam. You have to go back to the Pope of Rome who sanctioned slavery for a thousand years. And you have to go back to the, the British who actually had the shipping empire that allowed for people to be carted all around the world because America didn't have the ships to do it. And Islam had the, the religious devotion and the religious commandments that they have to behead and enslave everyone they find, right? Until they all worship Allah. So that's where the slave trade came in. Of course, the Pope didn't resist that. He just went along with it. And they, they enslaved half the world. But don't blame America for that. Okay, America was the one, it was the country that was the Protestant 
defender of people who were enslaved. It was the Protestant Reformation itself that brought about the ideological currency that we needed to have the, the bravery and the, the moral righteousness to fight against slavery. And that's what we did. So the idea that we're now going to lay all the sins of that on America, who's only been around for, you know, uh, not even 200 years, just a little bit over 200 years. So our effort here is just to point out that and to, to fulfill the, the gaps in this guy's knowledge here and what he's telling us. And we have to look beyond just the outer organizations and the first layer of secret fraternal orders and chivalric knights who are just really the henchmen. They're really just the, the minions and the Dubois of the, the higher system of control here, through which Kissinger and Brzezinski all worked for. They were the working men. They were the engineers who took salaries and took payment and accepted the authority of this power structure to do the work for it. Right? And then they planned out the, these imperial strokes and these new steps uh, by which we we're entering into a technocracy, a totally ubiquitous dungeon of cyber enslavement. So this is the algorithm ghetto that we're all going to be entered into. And it's pretty soon you have all these debit cards and you have all these, you swiping your card, you're, you're putting in your code, you're, you're looking on your phone app. And pretty soon, whenever these systems have total control over us, they'll be able to delete us and destroy us remotely. When most people hear the name Bill Gates, they think of his work at Microsoft on climate change or vaccine initiatives. But it's Gates' investment in a different field that's now drawing attention, agriculture. Last year, it was revealed that Bill Gates owned more American farmland than any other person on Earth. With food prices soaring over the last year, Gates has been using his growing influence in the industry to urge Americans to embrace a new form of sustenance, synthetic meat. In this episode, we revisit a Sunday edition of Morning Wire that took a closer look at those behind the anti-meat movement. I'm Daily Wire Editor-in-Chief John Bickley with Georgia Howe. Here to discuss the so-called war on meat and Gates' prominent role in it is Daily Wire senior editor Cabot Phillips. Cabot, first, we talked about this topic last summer, but quite a bit has happened since then. Yeah, if anything, the war on meat, as many call it, has only intensified in recent days. A number of cities have advanced measures to implement, quote, meatless Mondays in the name of student health. And last month, New York City Mayor Eric Adams vowed to reduce the city's so-called food emissions by 33 percent, in large part by cutting meat products from public meals to supposedly fight climate change. Those moves come as a number of prominent health organizations have labeled meat detrimental to public health and called for plant-based alternatives. But lately, we have seen some pushback from the scientific community. We talked earlier this month about the Dublin Declaration, a paper signed by over a thousand scientists from around the world, which touted the benefits of meat consumption and reaffirmed its nutritional value. Now, most people probably aren't aware of the fact that the largest farmland owner in America is Bill Gates. First, tell us about how he's amassed all of this land. That's right. As of last year, Gates owned roughly a quarter million acres of farmland across 19 different states. There are 70,000 acres in Louisiana, for example, for corn and cotton, another 20,000 in Nebraska for soybeans. One of his potato farms in Washington is so big that you can literally see it from space. But it's not just the land itself that's drawing attention now. It's also how the land was amassed. Gates and his ex-wife Melinda quietly began purchasing large tracts about a decade ago, and they often used shell companies to try and hide the fact that it was them. For example, in 2018, a company with just two employees in a small town in Louisiana purchased $171 million worth of farmland in Washington state. Hmm. But it was later discovered that the company making the purchase was actually controlled by Gates. That, along with a series of other large land purchases, now has more people than ever asking questions about just what his plans are with all that land. 
Now, this isn't the first time Gates has gotten involved in the farming industry, though, right? Yeah, he's no stranger to the world of agriculture. In the past, as part of what he called efforts to combat global hunger, he invested heavily in agricultural technology, specifically in companies developing genetically modified organisms or GMOs. For example, in 2010, his foundation purchased $23 million worth of stock in Monsanto, the now infamous agrochemical corporation. But in recent years, he's shifted away from just acquiring shares of farming companies to acquiring actual farmland itself. And that is significant, especially because it comes at a time when he's also viewed as one of the world's leading climate activists. Yeah. How does Gates' climate advocacy play into all this? Well, that's where an interesting overlap starts to emerge. While climate change activists historically focused on reducing greenhouse emissions by cutting back on fossil fuels, in recent years, they've turned much of their attention to cutting back on meat consumption, especially red meat. In the past, the fight against meat was typically waged by animal rights activists, but now it's increasingly coming from climate activists. They claim that cows are an inefficient food source and harm the environment by consuming precious water reserves and emitting CO2 and methane. Mm. The growing idea among many in the scientific community is that red meat may have been necessary when options were limited, but now that humans have access to so many alternatives— we should be seeking out food that's less harmful for the environment. And Gates has been totally on board and really leading that message. And all this dovetails with his public messaging on meat consumption. Exactly. At the same time that he started amassing huge swaths of farmland, Gates has also become one of the most prominent voices in the world against meat. He's called it a threat to the environment and says that in order to combat climate change, we must move to alternatives. And in his mind, those alternatives are synthetic meat, or plant-based meat. In one interview last year, for example, he said, quote, all rich countries should move to 100% synthetic beef. You can get used to the taste difference. He's also said that the push towards synthetic beef was so important that even if people don't adopt the shift willingly, government coercion could be necessary. Speaking to MIT's technology review about his latest book titled How to Avoid a Climate Disaster, Gates said, quote, eventually you can sort of change the behavior of people or use regulation to totally shift demand. Here he is in another interview further explaining his position. You said rich nations should move to 100% synthetic beef. Yes, unless we can make the cow zero emission, uh, which you know I'm not sure we can, we do need to make uh, to get rid of those emissions. And you know it's not gonna happen overnight. The scale up and the uh, innovation still required there is quite large. What sort of public reaction have we seen to Gates' involvement in this? So there have been two main sides forming. Some have praised his climate activism, saying that Gates is just trying to educate people about the potential dangers of meat reliance. They perceive his intentions to be purely philanthropic and say that billionaires like Gates should be exerting their influence on culture in pursuit of the greater good. But others have remained skeptical and questioned his motives. Specifically, they point out that he really stands to profit from the two main alternatives to meat, which are synthetic beef and plant-based meat. Let's dig into that more. Tell us about plant-based meat. Yeah, plant-based meat is created with a mix of legumes like soybeans and lentils, as well as potato starch, pea protein, and other vegetables. Now, critics have been quick to point out that all of those products are products grown on farms now owned by Bill Gates. Obviously, if meat is phased out in exchange for plant-based solutions, Gates would stand to gain financially. And right. then when it comes to synthetic meats, the process starts in a lab where scientists use stem cells to essentially grow meat in a Petri dish. 
And it's worth pointing out, not only has Gates invested massively in the produce that's used to make these meat alternatives, he's also invested millions in alternative meat companies themselves, like Memphis Meats, Beyond Meats, and Impossible Foods. Critics say that it's no coincidence that he's simultaneously pushing for meat alternatives while buying up farmland that grows the products used to make those alternatives or investing in the companies that would obviously explode as a result. What about the environmental impact of all this? How much greener are these meat alternatives? That's the thing. From the data we have right now, they actually appear to be worse for the environment in many ways. On that note, I talked to Rob Wolf. He's a research biochemist and author and has also worked with the Navy's Special Warfare Resiliency Program. He's basically an expert on all things meat and nutrition. Here's what he had to say about how synthetic meat is made as well as its impact on the environment. It is an outright lie that these plant-based alternatives are better for the environment, are going to reduce carbon footprint or carbon emissions. This is a key piece that gets, gets missed in this whole story. They, that, that tissue needs to be fed, and the stuff it needs to be fed has to come from somewhere. It doesn't just magically grow in a, in a vat. But that's basically the way that this lab-grown meat is, is approached. And this is one of the, the things that's so remarkably silly about it being sold as a a climate change benefit because we have a lab, you know, all of the carbon footprint that went into building that lab, that lab environment needs to be temperature controlled. It needs lighting. The funny thing is when you look at these meat alternatives, they say it's good for the planet, but they never, ever, ever show you what's called a life cycle analysis, which is basically looking at all the inputs, all the outputs, and then comparing and contrasting those with, say, like conventional meat and pasture-raised meat. Despite those concerns, the scientific community has really gotten on board with the call for meat alternatives. And it's interesting, if you look at the timing here, the call for cutting meat that's come from a lot of climate change activists has coincided almost perfectly with many in the scientific community going after meat from that perspective. The growing message from many scientists is now that diets high in meat are unhealthy for humans and we should move away from meat, not just for environmental reasons, but for health purposes. Again, critics have argued that that message from the scientific community could have more to do with fulfilling climate change goals and serving their own self-interest, and less to do with the actual science on meat and its nutritional value. Yeah, what about that, the nutritional value? What does the research say about beef consumption? Yeah, as with anything surrounding diet and nutrition, there are conflicting sides. There are some doctors who claim humans can get the nutrients they need from a plant-based diet that includes synthetic meat, but there is a growing amount of data that raises concerns over diets based entirely around plants. I asked Wolf about that as well, and he says that while some young people, primarily men, are able to subsist on a meatless diet, it often leads to nutrient deficiencies, especially among childbearing age women and those above the age of 50. The short answer is that no, it is it is largely impossible to identically replicate the nutritional characteristics of a meat-inclusive diet using uh, you know, plant-based alternatives only. Some people can do it. The American Dietetics Association, uh, American Medical Association, have made statements that vegan and vegetarian diets are appropriate for all stages of the human life cycle, and there's absolutely no data to support that. This is a, a completely non-evidence-based claim that these folks have made. And it's interesting, according to Wolf, there's often pressure within the scientific community to avoid saying anything positive about meat because it could detract from the climate change movement, which, as we mentioned earlier, is calling for meat to be removed from our diets. He says that questioning the science on meat and its impact on the environment 
can often result in being outcast from the mainstream. You know, we needed nuanced discussion around climate change to I'm a Holocaust denier in in all of about, you know, three minutes. And I think that academics are terrified of, of getting, you know, labeled in this way uh, with cancel culture and everything else that's going on in these kind of uh, uh, McCarthy era witch hunt type things that happen in academic circles. Uh, even the people who knew know better on the, the science of this topic They're in a really difficult situation. To that point, there are also those who say that pressure from the scientific community to wage a war on meat in the name of saving the environment has resulted in a number of skewed or misleading studies on the topic. For example, take the Global Burden of Disease study. That is the authoritative paper on overall worldwide health each year. It's very influential in the healthcare decisions of countries, especially regarding their food policy. In 2017, the study claimed that diets high in red meat pose almost no risk of death. But just two years later, in 2019, that same study claimed that meat-heavy diets actually kill well over a million people globally each year. The study claimed that meat-heavy diets killed 36 times more people in 2019 than in 2017. There was a huge spike in the number of deaths they attributed to to meat-heavy diets in just a two-year span. Critics say that such a dramatic change in the data over just a short period of time raises red flags, especially because it coincided so closely with this new environmentalist push to reduce meat consumption during that same time period. They say it's not a coincidence. And it's also worth noting that study was sponsored in large part by the Gates Foundation. So seems like a direct line there between the scientific community's messaging and Bill Gates. Definitely appears that way. All right, Cabot, thanks for providing this deep dive for us. Anytime. That was Daily Wire's Cabot Phillips, and this has been a Sunday edition of Morning Wire. Bill Gates, uh, yeah, he's definitely part of the the pharma, military, industrial complex, the biosecurity state. You can see the the old videos of him giving presentations to the CIA about different products and, you know, cyber intelligence capabilities that his, his uh, Microsoft products can, can uh, add and, and, and his other side projects too, wanting to control people uh, with different kinds of medicine or different kinds of shots. So all, all the, the videos are out there. If you search hard enough, you can find a younger Bill Gates out there, uh, you know, trying to convince the world of the necessity of creating covertly, introducing pharmacological substances into our systems that are really just bioweapons and pretending like they're medicine. And this is something that's been in the works. If you go back to event 201, you can see they prepared for a long time. And of course, the exposure of Bill Gates with his ties to Jeffrey Epstein and the Epstein pedophile island uh, atrocities that were committed, you know, I mean, literal crimes against humanity there. I mean, of course, Bill Gates was an attendee and an good friend and of the exposure of Jeffrey Epstein himself is really just the a CIA cutout who is there just to be the person responsible for dealing with the the children you know the CIA uh, sex children they're there to uh, you know the sex islands the pedophile islands are really just tools of the CIA and those are things that are being exposed as we go forward and it's something we need to get on record and these utterances and discussions that we have now are really more for the people in the future who are going to be terribly worse off than we are uh, by magnitude of degrees uh, that are you know incomprehensible the people the ignorance level the total control over devices and the information control over corporate media networks that are going to absolutely lock people out of any kind of real substantive knowledge 
or any kind of true fact, and just totally controlled uh, 1984 Orwellian newspeak and uh, a total control of the information from day to day and, and really over your minds and over your ability to have any kind of courage to speak the truth and say, wait, this isn't, this isn't track. This isn't drive up. This isn't the same. This is, this is all inconsistent. This, this is high-level casuistry. And so this is a high-level crafted deception by the government and this is all captured elites, right? They're all working together. The elites of these different organizations, the high-level CCP elites, they're, they're conspiring against their population to control them, to box them in, to starve them out, to weld them into the, the building so they starve to death, and whatever they want. Total, absolute, unmitigated control. And that's what Washington, D.C. is trying to achieve here. It's an absolute, total dictatorship of the elite over the common people. And it's, and it's a separation of the two there. And, and people like uh, Hunter Biden and Joe Biden are really kind of in between. They're kind of scummy, low-life, pretentious, reaching elites trying to you know, get an extra $5 million if I sell out my country. You know, that, that those kind of like quibbling weaklings are not really part of the elite, right? They're, they can be uh, cast down. They're like the Jeffrey Epsteins, uh, the, the Hunter Bidens, all the same. And they could all be, you know, they can all be put in a room and just murdered and done away with. Uh, they enjoyed their time. They got their millions, and they they you know, humped a bunch of prostitutes with the crack stem. Oh, they had their joy for a little while. Now it's time to put them away and do, you know, so the the big show can carry on. So that's what this is really about about keeping the big show moving forward. And this is about internationalism and getting the world back to what it was before there was a, which really resulted from the peace of Westphalia, the Westphalian Treaty, the Westphalian nation state. They divided up the world. They divided up supposed the Vatican Christendom of total global ubiquitous control over every nation and people everywhere. Right. So the, these, this Westphalian development, this Westphalian Treaty said that these different nations over here had the right to proclaim their own sovereignty and territory, and it was a result of their victory in war, of course. They get to claim this, this right of their own, right? This declaration of independence is what the Westphalian Treaty really was against uh, the, the dictatorship of Popery, which said that they could uh, come into your country and choose your king and set up the Inquisition and burn your people at the stake and tax your people to death. And if you didn't like it, uh, they would just uh, send the Inquisition after you and you would be arrested as a heretic. So that's the kind of absolute ecclesiastical megalomania that was being put to the sword and being fought against and that resulted in the Westphalian nation state that said these people over here could be Protestants. These were Protestant kings. These are Protestant freemen. And that would ultimately lead, that it was a result, of course, of the, the Protestant Reformation, that, that push and that fight for independence from the papacy and total Roman power over all the church and state. Uh, throne and altar, right? Uh, all subjected to the Pope. Well, after Westphalian nation state was established, of course, this was no longer true. So the, the, this destruction of democracy and this destruction of the nation state and independent nations to be subsumed into this larger global government is all the work of the ancient orders of the papacy, the ancient orders of the knights who are just trying to reduce the world back to total submission to the Pope, to a serfdom, to a, a dark ages where everyone is a, a common people who can no longer read or get real information and they're just totally controlled by their devices so it'll be a digital control you you walk around with your phone as if you can't you know leave it alone but it's there just to monitor you to listen to you to watch and and report back you know to the digital records everything you do all the time and that was what uh Yuval Noah Harari was just saying recently that now you know the KGB couldn't put enough manpower to follow people everywhere but these new AI control systems and these devices 
even even your little earpiece you know you used to be just all about your phone but now it's it can be your little your earbuds or any of these devices now can be used to control monitor uh, manipulate you uh, surveil you screw up your day by turning off and turning on and turning off and turning on and screw, just making it impossible for you to drive the maps you know er- everything is subjectively digital now you used to have buttons on your phone and you could like switch it off or you could take the battery out <laughs> nope, not anymore you've been engineered out of the the whole equation you're just a you're just a you're just a chip in the circuit, circuitry of control, right? The new world order global circuitry of control is here to, to, to control your life and to, uh, you know, flag you and reduce you back to a, a common pleb, a, a powerless serf who no longer can, uh, you know, go to your government and petition for results or petition your government for uh, any kind of grievance or cha- change the situation of the policies. Uh, there's no more will of the people. There's no more constitution. There's no more declaration of independence it's just back to the king the pope and your absurd ignorance and your penury your your total poverty your inability even now to even have meat you used to have meat on the farms you don't have a farm you don't have any meat you're going to eat the the plastic grown lab meat right you're going to do whatever they tell you to do you're going to eat bugs surf so just get ready you know don't don't have any chickens don't have any pigs or or uh, any cows out on your property so that you can have your own food supply. Don't do that. That would just be, um, just go to McDonald's and eat the horse meat <laughs> wherever they serve you, right? So you, that's what you're being turned into. And as they kind of put experiments on in the meat and they try these different mRNA-like shots in the milk and they do all these different things, they're basically going to slowly transform you genetically in your in your actual body and your your, your pores and in your, your mitochondria, right? Every, every part of your cells of your being are going to be, uh, be filled with their toxic uh, experimentation as they basically depopulate. And, and, and they want to learn to experiment on the human animal as they depopulate the planet. And that was before the internet stole all our time and attention. So, um, I, the, if you know, and I think until very recently, Australians were kind of similar this way. We're we're a long way from anywhere. We're self-contained. Uh, why do I need to know the latest policy statement of the Chinese government or the Indian government? This is just not very interesting. I'm going to you know, go and live my life and have fun with my family and worry about my job. And that's, you know, the average American tends to think that way too. But what happens is when we behave as a country in that way and we let our our sort of self-preoccupation take over, things in the world get more and more dangerous till finally someone really comes along and hits us over the head with a brick at which point we, we wake up and we look around and we start trying to think about what to do. Uh, the other thing that happens is because we look so so inconsequential and stupid between wars, foreigners often underestimate us and say, okay, well, now the Americans are hopeless. One of the reasons Hitler wasn't as worried about American entrance into the war as perhaps he should have been was that he thought, well, you look at the American press, they're not doing anything, their army is tiny, they are completely preoccupied with themselves and the latest Hollywood movie star, they're decadent. So we behave in ways that both make it possible for for danger to rise overseas 
And we give people overseas reason to think that we, we are so over the hill, so decadent, so self-preoccupied that it would be easy to take us out. Then they try and then all hell breaks loose. In many ways, I find comfort in that because it is the way that I see it. So stir the giant and see what happens. People need to keep in mind that America carries a lot of sting. That leads me to the second question, capability. We hear a lot about this, you know, um, how uh, apparently now the Chinese have more warships than the Americans. They can't match the tonnage, and we assume technologically they're not in the same category, but nonetheless, we hear that. We hear talks of... Uh, how the British Empire and then the Americans, when they were, if you like, top cops, maintained, broadly speaking, a policy of being able to maintain two major conflicts if necessary and a small one on the side. American capability as opposed to intent. Uh, We still assume that it's massive, uh, but this is a very troubled world with a lot of troubled spots that could flare up. Uh, And you've been writing about this, uh, America's allies developing... You know, America Plus, we might talk about that in a moment, but how do you see uh, American capability? It's a mix. It's a mixed bag. Um, one th- I think one thing, though, it's important to stress is that during the entire Cold War, the Soviet Union and its allies had stronger conventional forces in Europe than we did. You know, there was never a day when the American and NATO forces had more tanks, more ships or other things than the Soviet Union in that theater. Uh, And we always depended on a combination of the nuclear deterrent and our ability to gear up and resupply. Um, But the assumption was always that the Soviet Union would break through in in the early fighting and we would have to drive them back. So, In that sense, our posture today is not so very different from the posture that ultimately won the Cold War. I am not saying that that's a prudent thing. I think, again, that when the Soviet Union had the greatest population of anyone in Europe and you're looking at a land war, it's very hard for an international alliance to match it conventionally. The place where I'm most worried about the failure of U.S. defense planning and capability is that 15 years ago, no sane person anywhere in the world thought that China had a, had a chance to land a single boat on the shore of Taiwan without, you know, in the face of U.S. opposition. Today, the, the war games and the other indications that we get say that we're in kind of a gray zone where, you know, there are scenarios under which China could win, at least for the short term. Uh, the fact that we, and I must say, and our allies allowed ourselves to go from a position of overwhelming superiority to one of contested superiority uh, will rank historically as one of the great examples of human folly and blindness. I've said and I believe that on the day of judgment, Neville Chamberlain will rise and condemn the weakness and the stupidity of this generation, that he had less warning and responded more wisely to the threats of his time than we have done, say, since 2014, when 
President Putin removed all ambiguity about his approach to international affairs, or for that matter, you know, since Xi Jinping rose to power and made crystal clear what China's ambitions were. Uh, and we have sat immobile talking of other things, our soft power, democracy promotion, lovely ideas, nothing wrong with any of these things in themselves, um, while we allowed this danger to reach a critical state. It was, it was madness, it was folly, and we are now rip, reaping the bitter rewards of a massive failure of duty. Do you think there's been almost a sort of a spiritual element to that, though, that we've become, you know, so hypercritical in many ways of our own culture? We've, you know, abandoned belief in many of our values. Uh, trust has broken down in the very ideas that stand behind many of the institutions of freedom and so forth in the West. Uh, and there's a sort of a moral equivalence that's, that's emerged somehow or other. We don't understand the difference between human flourishing under freedom uh, and the rules of freedom and, and, and the arc of autocracy, as a former prime minister has yeah. called, what's emerging. John, I, I want to take it even deeper because when I look at, at the world today, um, you know, the concept of, of an apocalyptic end of the world used to be a purely sort of religious or theological, even for some mythological concept. That is, you know, it would take, it would take a supernatural intervention by a deity to end the world. But ever since the nuclear weapons were used at Hiroshima, we have known that humanity has, this, has acquired this power itself and we've also known since the 1940s, at least, that, that the Enlightenment hopes that somehow science and technology and progress would mean that humanity would overcome our moral evils and flaws was false. You, you have to only look at the footage of the survivors of the Holocaust to see that humanity, enlightened, cultured, modern man has a you know has the the same capacity for brutality for hatred for cruelty that our ancestors always had um, it takes you know to honestly face the dangers of the world situation that we are in and the absolute lack of any guarantee that the human race will will find a way past the the challenges that exist out there, whether you're an environmentalist and you think in terms of catastrophic climate change or people in Silicon Valley who worry, you know, artificial intelligence will make us all slaves to machines or nuclear war, genetic plagues, whatever. The dangers we face are so enormous and our ability to control them is so limited that unless you as a human being have some kind of deep grounding that gives you a foundation of courage in order to act, I think it's, it, it becomes almost impossible to look reality in the eye. 
because it is so terrifying. And you find all kinds of people living in various forms of denial about the gravity of the human condition. So you, you, you will certainly find these people who, who sort of somehow fix up a belief in the arc of history that progress will eliminate the evil in human souls, despite all of the evidence that we see. And you find people who deny, you know, simply deny the gravity of our situation because it's so bleak. It, it's, it's like if you have terminal cancer and there is no treatment, why think about it? Why not divert yourself while you still can? And But unless you have a true appreciation of the gravity of the human condition, you can't make sensible policy. You can't look the troubles right in the eye and then make the appropriate decisions on how to face them with sort of fortitude and dignity. So that's a really interesting and just helpful discussion, right? That's a really like constructive and practical way to piece this together. You can sense the kind of wisdom and the experience in the the you know intellectual backdrop of the of that individual. And these are the kind of people that America has produced for the world, for America. Uh, hopefully he has, you know, plenty of children to carry on in, in his footsteps as all these other great Americans should should uh, have big families and be very productive people. And you got to see now that we're, we're talking about what is really the most important things. And we're, we're putting language and constructive articulation of the real dilemma that we're dealing with. And we have to recognize that we as Americans have got to learn that every day of our lives and everything that we do and all the choices we make are not just about our own aggrandizement and enrichment and fulfillment, but it's really for the future survival of the, of our national enterprise for what it is. I mean, we don't have, it's, uh, it's like uh, being in the, in the ocean and a big uh, blow up life raft and you're in your life raft, and, and you um, you don't have another life raft to jump to. It's your life raft, and you can't punch holes into it and expect for your, yourself to survive. And ultimately, we in our lives, in our individual lives, have got to learn how to strengthen and to repair and to shore up the life raft of our nation. Uh, these other individuals in these other countries who are working for the for the the benefit of these other nations have no interest in, in whether our, our life raft or our nation state is going to survive. In fact, if, if we don't survive, then they'll have all of our resources for themselves, right? So you can expect them to work against our survival. So we as a people have got to learn how to find out what it means to, to be a national enterprise, and especially for people who don't get to travel. The people who are wealthier, who do have jobs, allow them to travel around the world, they should be even more dedicated to America's success. But you can find that as people are getting more and more greedy, they're getting more and more fed on the brainwash and the, or the uh, drinking the, cool, the company Kool-Aid, you know, and just kind of being taken in by all the seminars. Can you imagine all the people who have to defend their six-figure jobs and have to go all these seminars about how to treat black employees who have been 
pushed to the outskirts and who historically have been prevented from having any real privilege and white privilege is is so bad and, and poor black people and it, it, what, what kind of atmosphere does that create inside the work the workplace you know imagine the military go having to go through retraining on on how to be sensitive to other people's uh, racial guilt trip that they're putting you on or whatever it is what or you have to go in and and sit there and sit through a whole thing about how transgender people are people too and you should let them sit next to your children all the time or whatever you know let them in your classroom around your kids you know and so there's, there's this process of being deluded and kind of desecrated within your own mind within the temple of your own conscience as these people kind of retrain you and retrain you and retrain you to become part of this new global uh, workforce this globalist ideology and it goes well past right and left democrat versus republican politics in america but this is about descending you into total total abject slavery and brain control by whatever they come up with next you know and if the if you have to sit there and watch eight year olds uh, be stripped of their dignity and their humanity, and uh, as adults allow walk them into this easy, they're easily influenced children, and the adults are just walking them into these gender reassigning surgeries. What, what does that even mean? I mean, you're going to chop their you're going to chop their genitals off? I mean, it's it's disgusting. I have to just point out that these adults are responsible for what these kids are thinking. You know, these children are not capable of of finding a, a way of reasoning around the construct of the adult world that they're, they're trying to please and placate. They're doing all this for, you know, by the time for, for approval, right? By the time they grow up, you see the, the blowback of these gender reassignment surgeries when the kids are 20 and they realize that they're not going to be able to have any kind of feeling in their genitals. Their, their breasts may be gone or removed. Uh, they tried to refashion their genitals into something else. And now it's just a flap of skin. It has no feeling. You're not going to have any orgasms. You're not going to have any sexual pleasure the rest of your life. They've ruined you. And how, how do you even cope with that? That's where the suicidal ideation comes in. These kids have to spend the rest of their life. They were dealing with a mental disorder of gender dysphoria to begin with. And in order to address their, their inclement uh, mental illness, they had a, a deforming surgery. So what, what is going on? Why, why does Boston College and Boston – oh, that's right. Boston Hospital up there by Boston College is Jesuits. It's a Jesuit college, right? I mean they're doing the surgeries. For anybody, California's got it wide open for any anybody who has a mental illness and who wants to be have the world placate them and and deepen them in their mental illness by pretending like you can change your gender. And then that's what you deal with. You're dealing with a world that's here dedicated to with, with it, it, it's the extension of the counter reformation. You gotta recognize the American Medical Association, the AMA was set up by Skull and Bonesman out of Yale. This is the counter-reformation. This is the fruition of all their work. And anyone who says anything about it is going to get on a kill list, right? They're just going to put you on a list as they raise these new generations, these 13, 12, 10-year-olds. They'll be, they'll be up here um, waving banners and clubs soon enough. To uh, it'll, be the, it'll be a new um, Red Brigades, right? Isn't that what they did in China where they had all the, the children, the 13-year-olds with pistols running around and, and rounding up all the adults, any of, the adult, any of the adults who were intellectuals, any adults who wore glasses, they would kill them. Any of the adults who uh, carried on the old way of thinking, they would, they, they, the Mao Zedong pushed the youth into murdering their, their families and murdering their own parents. That's what happened. So would you think that's going to be any different than the way they did it in Greece under this Aristotelian pollution where they pollute the youth against the adults? Isn't that why uh, Socrates had to drink the hemlock? Because they were going to murder him? Because they had... They had produced a new generation of people who were so ignorant, so polluted, and so deranged that it was just better if he just uh, just 
drank the hemlock, right? Isn't that what we're dealing with here? So th- this is a process of, of slow-moving train wreck, a degradation of our youth. It's so unthinkable and so catastrophic. There's really no way to, to like, recover from it.